This evening's readings from 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phigellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Thank you very much, um, Bubs. Now, we all loved singing When Peace Like a River. It uh, has been on and remains on my funeral list, and I suspect, and it's not a short list, but it, uh, it, I think it will never uh, go. It's a marvellous hymn. It's a very... Um, significant hymn for me when I was training to be a minister in uh, a church not far from here in Gorgie and uh, we would sing this hymn and um, it just had a huge influence uh, in my heart uh, for ministry. 
when we were singing it just now and having listened to uh, what Freddie was asking us to do, the bit I find easy to do is to pray. The bit I find hard to do is to ask and to invite. I'm sure I'm not alone um, in that. And uh, the Apostle Paul takes us onto that ground tonight when he talks about being um, ashamed, ashamed of the truth and ashamed of those who stand uh, for it. It's a very strong word. And uh, all through this week, I've wrestled in my own heart that am I ashamed? I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I love him. I love serving him. But quietly and gently, God's word asks us to evaluate our actions, our lives, against that uh, charge. But, and here's the wonderful thing, almost every word in this section of Timothy that we'll study tonight is designed in the hands of the Spirit of God to turn our shame into pride and to liberate us to speak. So let me pray to that end. Lord, we can all in this room, apart perhaps from very few, recall situations when we have been ashamed as Christians. Perhaps just out with friends and one of them is having a go at Christians. We just listen and keep silent. Or maybe one of these discussions about ethics and morality, these contemporary topics of our day that we would love to run a mile from. And we have something to say as a Christian, but we're ashamed to say it. Or someone questions us as a Christian and we try and respond and try and be faithful to the Lord Jesus, but we feel embarrassed. We feel ashamed. Telling people for the first time that we're Christians, people we work or live with or study with, play sport with or whatever, and we feel a bit embarrassed and ashamed. Many of us have been there, and it's not because we are especially weak as Christians. We're just normal. Thank you that in this book of the Bible, Timothy is presented to us as a normal Christian who was ashamed and who struggled. And it's not because we or Timothy do not love the Lord Jesus. We would die for him. We love him. We love his word. We love his gospel. We know where people are headed. And we long not to be ashamed. We long to be so proud of this gospel, so thrilled by it, so galvanized by it, that in spite of our weak temperaments and our timidity, we will be bold and unashamed in its proclamation. And that our God needs for many of us, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit it's something you've got to do in us before we can do that. And we simply ask that you would do that through your word tonight. As all these opportunities are set before us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me just warn you up front against the wrong response to this word or my inadequate teaching of it is guilt. Guilt is uh, one of the devil's primary strike weapons. <laughs> and uh, he does it after we repent of sin. He whispers in our ear, your sin is forgiven, but I'm just going to remind you of it for the rest of your life. 
or when it comes to a topic like this, all we hear is, I don't do enough of this. The reality is, in terms of being open in our testimony about the Lord Jesus, most of us uh, are, are, are miles from where um, I think this is right. God enables us to be. He does. It's not about temperament. It's not about instinct. It's not about knowledge. It's about a willing submission to God and the spirit that dwells within us because we have this glorious news to proclaim. So if the devil whispers the seed of guilt in your mind, swat him down. Just bow your head and pray and ask him, ask God to protect you from the discouraging darts of um, guilt. Now, if you get a loan of the, um, the handout, um, I've printed in quite thick size tonight. You can see that is a, not intentional. It's entirely an accident due to further printing errors on my part. But it does give you a little uh, chance to, to scribble on it. Now, let me just uh, very quickly summarize uh, what I think is the, the heartbeat of this letter. Paul wrote to Timothy, um, who was a leader, not the leader, corporate leadership always in the Bible, who was a leader uh, in a church in Ephesus, in a local church like this, to encourage him and enable him. The word enable is important, otherwise it would just be a kind of rod to beat his back, to encourage him and enable him. Enable him with truth. Encourage and enable him to fulfill his ministry. That uh, word fulfill is taken from chapter 4, verse 6. It's to accomplish what God has gifted him to do. So it's to use his gifts in the context that God has put him. That's essentially uh, what it means. Uh, as a preacher and Bible teacher, that's his gift. In tough circumstances, at a tough time in history. So I think that's uh, the, the essence and heartbeat of this letter. Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage and enable him to fulfill his ministry as a preacher and Bible teacher in tough circumstances at a tough time in ministry. Now, this book is relevant to us all in different ways. All of us are, are called to evangelism. And many of us are in positions of leadership. And rightly, in a church like Chalmers, there are dozens and dozens of people in Bible teaching uh, leadership. So it's certainly not just a few uh, people. And there's a whole generation, a next generation of leaders that God is calling by his spirit. And we know that because Jesus promises to build his church. And by that, he means lots of local churches. And he needs leaders for these churches. So God is calling, and this book is relevant uh, to all of us. Now, we come tonight to verses 8 to 18. And the kind of title of these verses is Do Not Be Ashamed. And you'll see on the, uh, the sheet... Uh, what I've done is I've, I've taken uh, a statement from each of what I think are three sections in this little bit uh, of the letter, verses 8 to 18. Now, just look with me, and you'll see uh, what I, I mean. So he begins at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed, Timothy. Okay? And uh, that runs through um, uh, verse um, 8. Now, and the major chunk of our passage is verses 8b to 14, which is all the reasons not to be ashamed. That's the heartbeat of our section. And right in the middle of that, if you look at verse 12, 
Paul says, I am not ashamed. You see what he's doing? So, do not be ashamed. I am not ashamed. And then down at the bottom, in the third section, 15 to 18, he picks out these three people, Phygelus, Hermogenes, and Onesiphorus. And just look what he says in the end of verse 16, referring to Onesiphorus. He was not ashamed. So there's a kind of rhythm and line that runs through the section. Do not be ashamed. I am not ashamed. He was not ashamed. What about you, he's asking Timothy. So that, that's, I think, exactly what the, the kind of text is doing. And I think it's persuasive when you see that. So let's begin with do not be ashamed, uh, which is uh, verse 80, 80. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the um, gospel by the power of God or share in suffering for the gospel. I think the power of God goes with the bit that follows. So the first bit, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his uh, prisoner. Now, what does it mean to be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord? Now, that's just shorthand for saying um, there's a risk that Timothy and others are ashamed of the apostles' teaching, the testimony about our Lord. We get it later on in the passage when Paul exhorts Timothy, uh, verse 13, to follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me, the apostolic truth. And there is a danger that Timothy and Christian ministers and all of us at different points in history, are ashamed of the apostolic testimony, what's written in our Bibles. Now, why might that be? Well, go to the very heart of the gospel, which is rooted in humanity's helplessness and requires humanity to repent of sin and to acknowledge their weakness and helplessness before God. It's about judgment. It's about the Son of God being so demeaned that he died a criminal's death on a cross and bore our sin and bore judgment. When you understand it, it's wonderful. But before you understand it, it is, in Paul's words in Corinthians, sheer foolishness. Foolishness. And I, and maybe you, are ashamed of looking like a fool or sounding like a fool. Or what about all of the ethical teaching? We uh, may have lived, we don't, in a generation where uh, Christian morality was the default, was the accepted way to live. We are no longer living in such a time. And to hold to an orthodox view on marriage, for example, is dissonant from the world and it leads us to some sense of shame when we have to talk about it or defend it or when people call us bigoted or so on and so forth. Nobody wants to be uh, spoken of uh, in that way. And, and the narrowness of the Bible, there is one way to salvation. There is one way to salvation. It's so much easier to say there are many ways or to uh, lighten the restrictions that God puts on the gospel, and then the whole realm of heaven and hell and judgment, and so on and so forth. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. And the Christian church today divides on whether or not it is um, committed to the apostolic truth in the Bible, whether it sees the Word of God in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the infallible, inspired Word of God, the supreme authority on faith and life, or not. It is so much easier to say, well, God has given us truth in the Bible, but He speaks to us today. He speaks to us today in ways that they could not have known. And that kind of thinking is endemic in the church. And it's tempting because uh, it gives you a much easier uh, ride and much less opposition from people. Let's uh, shift on to uh, the next um, comment that Paul makes. Uh, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his uh, prisoner. And uh, a share in suffering. Paul is in prison when he writes uh, this letter. And uh, many have deserted Paul because he's, uh, uh, they don't want to associate with him. They don't want to associate with suffering. I mean, who wants to suffer? That's masochism. Nobody wants to suffer. And suffering brings shame. Uh, you just listen to the testimony of somebody who has suffered acutely uh, for their faith or an injustice. It's shameful. It's shameful. It's embarrassing. Many people will keep a distance from Paul and others who stand up for the truth of the gospel. I've heard this many times in the institutional church uh, in our country uh, in times when it was stronger than it is now. Something like this. In fact, this is a quote uh, from somebody. I'll keep my distance uh, from Paul and the apostles and those like you who stand with him Because God is calling me to a position of influence. And when I am in it, that's when I will speak out. And happens again and again and again. And when that comes, the person does not speak out. Always. In the institutional churches, as evangelical Bible-believing Christians... We, 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 we get excited when an evangelical is given a position of authority and leadership. And sometimes that's a good thing, but often the price of that is their silence or a watered-down gospel. And so Paul says to Timothy, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, I'll leave you to apply that and to think that through in your own context because I want to spend uh, at least half of our time on the wonderful stuff in verses 8b to 14. So this big section in the middle of our passage are the many reasons not to be ashamed. Now before we get stuck into 8b to 14, let me just point you to verses 6 and 7, which are some reasons uh, not to be ashamed. Remember, uh, Timothy's commission is to be a a preacher, a herald, a Bible teacher in a tough time, in a tough context, at a difficult period of history, and that we find ourselves in that, whether it's in Bible teaching, whether it's in leadership, or whether it's just in evangelism, the kind of stuff that Freddie was talking about. And uh, Paul has already impressed on Timothy uh, some reasons to find confidence. You see it there in verse 2b, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. You've got a gift, Timothy. 
You've got a gift. You've got a gift. You've got a Bible teaching gift. You've got a preaching gift. You've got a gift to share and to speak the gospel. A gift. A gift is given from God. The giver of the gift is God. God does not give us gifts without the capacity and power and energy and vision to use them. And then verse 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. And, and these verses are great. They're like, do not be anxious about anything. That doesn't mean to say, do not be anxious, because we will be. It's not saying, God has given us a spirit, not of fear. That verse is written right into the context of a heart that is fearful. A heart that is fearful, a heart that is anxious. And in that human nature or human dimension, God says, I've given you power and self-discipline and love and freedom from the paralysis of uh, anxiety. So there's already a lot before we get to our verse. And then he says, don't be ashamed uh, of the testimony or of me, um, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then into our section, uh, and it kind of builds up a crescendo um, when he talks about the gospel, Paul's commission, and uh, Timothy's commission and all the resources to do it. Now, just stand back and look at the uh, outline for a minute. Now, this is maybe me just uh, in, in, kind of indulging uh, my um, instincts and passion for grammar. But I think every, every bit of the Bible is inspired. And it just struck me this week that, that Paul, in writing this letter, keeps shifting and mixing up his pronouns. Okay? You can see it there. It's all about shame, yeah, but he doesn't, he doesn't keep saying you, 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 you. He, he, he kind of often says I, 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 and me, and us. And what he's doing by that is he's, at times he's saying to Timothy, come on, Timothy, I want you to consider this in your ministry. And then he stands back and he says, Timothy, I want you to look at my ministry and my example and what's happened to me. I'm further down the track than you. And my confidence in God is the confidence you can have. You can rest in my confidence in God because it's worked. And then he shifts to us. So when he talks about the indwelling spirit, he talks about the indwelling spirit in us. Share in suffering means solidarity with others. It's such a powerful thing. Works against our corporateness. Us, I, me, you, we. It's good to just mark these words in our Bibles. Now, let's consider uh, the reasons that we can have confidence. And uh, let me, uh, before we do that, just pray again that God will uh, really uh, get these things into our hearts and they will issue in confidence. Lord Jesus, we pray that um, perhaps we're tired, perhaps we're sleepy, and the wind howls around us. We pray that the wind of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that is within us, would uh, really convict us that we can speak. We can stand up for the Lord Jesus. And it's a thrilling thing to be able to do. And we pray that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So, by the power of God, verse 8b, I think that runs into the next bit, who saved us and called us to a holy calling through the glorious gospel in Christ Jesus. Now, we know the gospel. We know the gospel is salvation by grace. But the way that Paul expresses the gospel here, I think, is the 
or one of the most glorious ways of describing the gospel in the New Testament. It thrills our, it's a bit like singing when peace like a river. It's such a glorious explanation of the gospel. So let me read it. Do not be ashamed about our Lord nor of me. Share in suffering for the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. That's talking about our calling as Christians. And I think he's reaching forward to talk about his calling to be a preacher, not because of our works, so it's crystal clear, but because of his own purpose and grace, grace is undeserved mercy, which he gave us, it's a gift in Christ Jesus before the world began. It's massive, it's like John 1, verse 1. Christ, who in his death, what did he do? Abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, that's a glorious description of the gospel. And what Paul is trying to do as he speaks about uh, how uh, the power of God has called us, has saved us uh, to this, uh, into this glorious gospel, this glorious status in Christ, and then he's going to get onto the ground of, for this I was appointed a preacher and a herald. He's trying to thrill us with the gospel. Now pray, pray this week that you will be captivated by the wonder of the gospel, the glorious gospel, that Christ has abolished death. I can't persuade you or myself to be captivated by the gospel. That's got to be the work of God. We've got to ask to be captivated in our minds and in our hearts, our consciences and wills and our loves by the gospel. But these words help us. They, they, they give us uh, a way, um, they give us a way um, in. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. Think of that. He abolished death and brought life and immortality, eternal life to light, casting out darkness and shadows. Now, as you sit here and as I stand here, by the power of God, he has saved us and he's called us to a holy calling through the glorious gospel in Christ Jesus. And then Paul shifts to I. Notice what he says, for this glorious gospel, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And Paul is saying, look, I was appointed a preacher, apostle, a teacher, I'm the same as you, Timothy, except I'm an apostle. You're a preacher and a teacher. I suffered. You will suffer. And what Paul is always doing with us is saying, this is the pattern that you are to follow. It's the pattern that I followed. And at other times, he goes back to the Lord Jesus and says, it's the pattern that he followed. But just look what he says. For this glorious gospel, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which I suffer, uh, which is why I suffer as I do. Just look at verse 11. I think this is the right and literal translation in the ESV. For which I was appointed. So what are you appointed to as a gospel preacher? You're appointed to be a preacher of the gospel. But what does the for which refer to? The for which refers to the bringing of life and immortality to light. That's a different way of thinking about it. When we engage in evangelism, we are explaining the gospel. 
But what Paul says is that we are engaging in an activity that brings life and immortality to light. When we preach and teach the Bible in the power of the Spirit, working with His Word in my heart and in your heart, where the Spirit dwells, we are not simply communicating or explaining. God involves us in the activity of bringing life to light and immortality. It's extraordinary. That's what he asks us to do. And Paul says, for that I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And again and again in his writing, Paul explains to us the logic of why we suffer for what we do. Because what we do is opposed, like it was opposed in Christ and the apostles. There's logic to suffering. There's logic to it. And then in verse 12, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted uh, to me. As a child, uh, I remember uh, singing. Um, we used to go to the, some of you will know Willie Philip in Glasgow, his father's ministry, his church. And uh, we were there for years and years and years. And I remember singing a hymn with these words, and I had no idea what we were singing. Um, but it, it struck me that when people sang that, I know whom I'm convinced of, and he is able to guard until that day. It's a beautiful description. It's a beautiful phrase. Just look at it, what it says. I know whom I have believed. And remember, this is the apostle. This is us resting in his convictions. He's not saying, you should know whom you believe. That's implied. The apostle Paul says, as he comes to the end of his ministry, I know whom I believe in. It's assurance, conviction, and I am convinced. And it helps me to know that the apostle is convinced. I am convinced that he, God, is able to guard until that day, which is the return of Jesus, what has been entrusted to me. And that's full of uh, wonderful things that God trusts to Paul and to Timothy, we'll get to that in a minute. He trusts the gospel. He trusts the gospel to him and his generation. And when we freak out at that trust, Paul tells us that it's okay because God is able to guard what he has entrusted to me. He wants me to have it, but he guards what has been entrusted to me until the Lord Jesus returns. Just let these uh, words sink in again and pray that they do. I know whom I have believed. Listen to the apostle. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And then reach over to uh, verse uh, uh, um, 14, what has been entrusted to you, Timothy. Entrusted to me, entrusted to you. And then chapter 2, verse 2, we'll get to that next week. Entrust to reliable others. Entrusted by Jesus to Paul, to uh, Timothy, to others, to us to one generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. And what a privilege if God gives you that responsibility as a small group leader to be entrusted with the teaching and care of people in your group. And as you are frightened by that, read these words. He is able to guard what has been entrusted to you. Such a powerful thing. Such an encouraging thing. I know whom I believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And then verse 13, uh, Paul exhorts Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard 
from me in the faith and love that is in Christ uh, Jesus. That's just a repetition of what he's uh, said uh, in verse 8. It's a, a synonym, the pattern of sound words for the testimony about our Lord. It's a strange phrase though, isn't it? The pattern of sound words. Why not just say the testimony of our Lord again? Paul uses the word pattern in his letters to speak not simply of the content, but the experience of being a teacher and a herald and a proclaimer of that truth. And what is the pattern? The pattern is suffering for the sake of the gospel. And then verse 14, another wonderful verse, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And there's a powerful us at that point from Paul to Timothy. By the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, how do we respond to this? My sort of sense of this is that it's beautiful, it's caring, it's persuasive, it's loving, it's enticing, it's encouraging, it's humbling. As Paul weaves us into his letter, weaves us into Timothy's life, into his weakness, into his frailty, weaves us into the apostles' own lives and testimonies, and weaves us into Christ who stands behind it all. Remember the the very beginning of the letter, because of your sincere faith, it all kicks off from your sincere faith by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, let me just pause there and apply that. In every generation, in every generation, God calls many people to guard the deposit that is the gospel. And we're going to see what that looks like next week. It doesn't mean to say, hide it away. It means to hold it out in evangelism, to let it be refined by the fire of evangelism and the heat of opposition, and entrust it, entrust it, entrust it uh, to others. One of the great weaknesses of Scottish church history is the gospel was not entrusted to the next generation until the generation who were doing the entrusting were very, very old and grey. And the generation uh, that should have been entrusted with the gospel had, had flown the country and gone all around the world. And we must not make that mistake again. The challenge is for my generation to pass it on and the challenge is for you to take it. To take it. The devil will tempt my generation not to give it. The devil will persuade you, generation, never to take it. Take it. Take it. Share it. And proclaim it. Now, we're nearly done. Let's uh, read the concrete examples just so that we're left in no doubt at all that this is not hypothetical. Uh, you are aware, Timothy, that all who are in Asia turned away from me. I mean, that's a striking comment, isn't it? All. At that time in history, all who were in Asia turned away from me. Think of our gospel partners in Asia. I mean, that's, that's, that's where they are. It's hard, isn't it? Imagine if they all turned away from the Lord Jesus and the apostle. 
Among them are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Why does Paul name them? And I think probably because Timothy knows who they are. And, and it's real. It's real people. It's real people. They turned away. What did they turn away from? They either turned away from the testimony or turned away from Paul. We're going to read in chapter 2 about teaching that spread like gangrene in the church that denied the resurrection of Jesus. Or teaching in chapter 4 that tickled itching ears. Scratched itching ears. Teaching that people want to hear. That's exactly what he's saying in chapter 1 verse 8. Or people that distance themselves from the Apostle Paul. We read it here. We read it in Philippians that people were ashamed of him. But nonetheless he rejoiced because the gospel was preached. This is the Apostle Paul. Are we ashamed of him and his truth? May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. What does that mean? It means he went to see him, I think. He wrote him letters, sent him WhatsApps, encouraged him, and he was not ashamed of my chains. What a glorious testimony. When he arrived in Rome, this is Onesiphorus, he searched for me earnestly, and he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know, Timothy, all the service he rendered to me at Ephesus. And the reason that Bob's read into chapter 2 is I wanted to leave us with the words, You then, my child. You then. And uh, just as Timothy might be reeling, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. A kind of big catch-up of grace. And Timothy, while you're wrestling with whether you can keep going and hold out the gospel in your generation, I want you to start entrusting it to others, that constant, constant rhythm of entrusting it to others. So um, I want to exhort you, as I have done myself and will do, is really to pray this through. Pray it through in relation to Christian leadership and Christian ministry, uh, Bible teaching ministry in its different forms, but pray it too in relation to the many opportunities that God is setting before us in this church. Um, he, he, he had a lot of stuff to do. He got us here. He got us the building. It's all done. He's put us in a community, a vibrant community. There are many, many opportunities now. What it needs is, and I'm not going to say us to speak, it needs us to, to be galvanized, to be convicted, to be thrilled, to be proud of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, to be animated to be more holy, less sinful in the power of the Spirit, to be unashamed, to be thrilled to tell people, to suffer willingly. And that is not something that can be manufactured by rabble-rousing or rhetoric. It is the work of God by the indwelling Spirit. And really what we need to do is simply yield to that, be open to it, Ask for it. Pray for it. How many spheres or spells in your life have you prayed every day for a month that God will give you a desire and a love to share the gospel with others? Why don't we do that as a church, individually and for each other? And let's make sure 
that we do all we can as a church to pass the baton and take the baton and guard it in our time and in our generation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, sweet part of the letter, which uh, it might sound like a rebuke, do not be ashamed, but it moves beautifully into the glorious, glorious, glorious gospel that we are called to participate in by being saved and to hold out and to herald. Lord, there's much for us to take in in this letter, in these studies, and we pray that you would do that work of application in each and every heart according to your will and according to your purposes. We pray against the devil's darts of guilt. We pray against the devil's darts of indifference, or this is relevant to somebody else, and uh, help us all to listen and to love the gospel more for Jesus' sake. Amen.